Welcome to Inside 65, the Reserve Bank of Australia's podcast, where we bring you insights into monetary policy, the financial system, including payments, our economy, and the impact of the world at large. From our head office at 65 Martin Place in Sydney, we'll pull together interviews, conversations, and explainers, as well as include speeches given around Australia by our senior executives to tell you a little bit more about who we are and what we do. If you are interested in more about the bank, check out our website, rba.gov.au, where you can subscribe to other content, find more information, or contact us directly. In 2001, the Reserve Bank established its liaison program, a formal program of economic intelligence gathering, through which bank staff meet frequently with businesses, industry bodies, government agencies, and community organizations. The program is systematic in how it approaches collecting and assessing information, and the information obtained is a useful complement to published sources of data and economic models in informing the bank's assessment of economic conditions. The information gathered is available in near real time, making it useful for now casting and understanding the implications of short-term shocks to the economy. Today, we're going to learn more about the history of the program, why we place so much importance on talking to the community in this way, and how it has supported our decision-making over the last two decades. I'm joined today by Lucy Ellis, who's Assistant Governor with Responsibility for Economics here at the Reserve Bank of Australia, Senior Manager Kate McLaughlin, who is responsible for the Liaison Program, and our Senior Representatives in Western Australia and Queensland, Aaron Walker and Kate Davis. So Lucy, perhaps you could start by talking about why central banks have Liaison Programs. Thanks, Judy. A lot of what we do to understand the economy is based on official data and market pricing. The market pricing is available to us in near real time, but it only gives us one window on the world. And the official data and other data sources and surveys that we have are very much backward looking in that they take time to be gathered, compiled and published. Uh, so people have sometimes likened economic analysis in central banks to driving along the highway with only a rear view mirror and no windscreen. One of the things that the liaison program helps us do is have more of a, a real time sense of information. So perhaps you can you know, think of it as people you know, stand, you know, standing along the side of the road telling you what they're seeing from the side of the road. The deeper thing that it also gives us is the why. It's not just about data. We have you know, information about unemployment, information about inflation and output. But it's really helpful to know from businesses and industry organizations, community groups, their view of what's happening now, why it's happening and what could be coming, what their plans are. So we hear about people's hiring plans. We hear about what people plan to award as a wage increase. We hear about why they're making the investment decisions they're making and what they expect to come down the track. And I think that really gives us a, a deeper understanding of the behavior of, of different economic actors in the system. Do other central banks have these kind of programs or is it a bit different? I think one of the interesting things is at their heart, a lot of central bank programs on liaison are quite similar. And that's not just a coincidence. Actually, the Federal Reserve modelled their program on Australia's liaison program because it's been running such a long time. And sort of from time to time, we touch base with other central banks to hear about their new and best practices so we can make sure we're in line with global practices. But, you know, every economy is different. And so there are slight differences perhaps in who we talk to or where we focus our resources. So it's been 21 years. It's its 21st birthday this year. Is that right? It's quite the milestone. 
Can you tell us then about the history of the program, how it's developed over time? Sure. It's always been important, as I mentioned, to know what's going on in the economy beyond what the official data can tell us. And the Reserve Bank has always had at least some channels of communication for receiving and sharing that information. Back in the day, we had state branches. Now, most of the work of those state branches was government banking business and distributing cash. And as the world changed and things became more electronic and we were no longer the bank of state governments, we didn't need those branches anymore. But they had housed small teams where you know the management of those branches and the small economics teams they tended to have all provided some insights into what was happening in the rest of the economy. And there was certainly information provided by those branches back into head office. And, and you can read some of the early reports in our archive, Unreserved. So that's always been the case. But as the branch network shrank, we needed something different. And so mm. mindful of that, and also mindful of, I remember some of the conversations at the time, we were hearing from some of the private sector, you know, the big global banks, that they'd noticed that they kind of got something out of just looking at all the reports from the uh, various public, uh, publicly listed firms that they were following. Their equity analysts could kind of bring together common themes. And we said, well, you know, not every firm is a listed firm. Maybe if we talk to a, a broader range of, of the economy, we would actually learn something and be able to distill these common themes. So there was some inspiration also from some of the things the private sector were doing in a partial way. And so we, we, we formed the regional industry analysis team and, and set up the teams in each of the, uh, uh, the other cities that we have those teams in. Uh, and since then, have just built that up over time, making sure we're being systematic. Uh, it, it was always set up to be systematic. We've had you know, a long period of recording, you know, a record of those interviews so that we, we've got that detail, we've got that common theme. And in fact, we've got you know, various sort of qualitative and quantitative indicators that we've distilled from all of those interviews. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the program that we have is you know, just how systematic it's been from the outset. Which I suppose brings us to today. And perhaps, Kate, if you could describe a little bit how the program works today. Well, the program works by us trying to, you know, broadly match our sample of firms that we're interviewing to the sort of sectors of the economy. Um, so we try to design a program interviewing firms across a range of industries according to their sort of share of economic activity. But also more broadly, we speak to industry associations, um, in particular to capture small business or more sort of uh, industries that are distributed broadly across a large number of businesses. And then how that works on a more day-to-day -day sense is really for those firms, we look to interview them about once a year, a little bit more often for more cyclical areas of the economy, like construction and retail. And, you know, really important to note here is that it's all done on a voluntary basis with firms. So we'll approach um, firms to invite them to join the program, but it's really out of that um, dedication of service from the private sector to keep talking to the Reserve Bank and providing us with really useful information about how economic conditions are changing. One thing that's not captured with those 900 contacts we speak to Judy, is actually our reach is, is quite a bit broader because we speak to a whole range of organisations that aren't just single firms. So, for example, sometimes we speak to professional services firms like accountants or recruiters, which can give us a view into a whole industry or multiple industries at a time. 
We speak to industry associations, which remain really important contacts for giving us, for example, a whole view of what's happening in farming and agriculture. Um, and we also speak to community services organisations, which give us a really important perspective on how this is playing out, particularly for some household groups and indeed for those people working for community service organisations. I mentioned at the start of this discussion that the program's actually quite systematic in its approach. Why is that? And do you allow space for, say, more informal discussions? And how do the two aspects of the work together to paint a complete picture? Uh, that's right. So there are two main aspects, Judy. Um, There's what we call the core questions, which, you know, is really asking firms um, to try and match things with the official economic statistics from the ABS. So, for example, how have your sales changed over the past 12 months and how do you expect them to change over the next 12 months? Another really topical question we ask that's part of the core question is how has wage growth changed and how do you expect it to change in the future? And then there are a lot of sub questions in that that are topical. So as you can imagine this year, we've been asking firms lots of questions around labor availability and the challenges to hiring staff and also what factors might affect um, different things. So in the example of wages, what share of your employees are on enterprise bargaining agreements? Now, the way that comes together is we then analyze all that information every month and sort of feed that information into the board process and thinking about things. But there's another important one when we get a, something really topical happen in the economy and things are changing really rapidly. Um, so one example of that would be uh, with the sort of shock to energy prices this year. And so we might do a topical focus special there. We'll go and talk to firms perhaps a little more regularly than we otherwise would have we might reach out to new firms to try and make sure we can gather more information from firms on how the economy is changing or important structural features of their industry that might not be available in the economic data. Having both the core questions and the topical questions really helps us inform the board uh, and the public about what we see going on. It gives firms an opportunity to let us know what's on their minds as well. And that could alert us to an emerging issue that might not otherwise uh, be apparent to us as quickly. Uh, and again, it gives us an opportunity to talk through the why, the, the what's driving their decisions. But again, having that structured component to it may, ensures that we have continuity through time and that we can compare uh, results through time. So we have a basis for saying, oh, at the moment, it's you know much harder to hire than it was before or at the moment. Mm -hmm they're seeing cost pressures that they weren't seeing before. And we can compare through time, even though sometimes we're talking to different firms, we, we have that process for, for distilling that into a quantitative indicator. We've actually started publishing a section uh, summarising the key messages from Liaison in our quarterly statement on monetary policy. What was the thinking behind providing so much more detail on a regular basis? From the outset of the program, we'd wanted to avoid it being seen as a rival source of advice. We wanted this to be part of our holistic assessment of the economy. It's evidence that we use together with our other sources of information and triangulating against those other sources of information. And so we made a very deliberate decision to integrate the insights from liaison into our general work of economic group. And so we always had just woven those insights into our the documents that already existed rather than having a separate publication. And I believe that remains the right call. That said, there has been so much more interest 
in the liaison program and, and what we're learning from it. And it is something that you know, the rest of the market doesn't have access to unless we publish it. We thought given it had been such an important source of information for informing the board's decision to take off uh, and start raising rate, we felt that it was important to actually bring all that together so people didn't have to pick through and you know, do a search on liaison uh, in the document. So we've heard why we do the program and how it works at a high level, but I'd really like to get a sense of what it looks like on the ground. Kate and Aaron, can you tell me what a typical day looks like for both of you? Um, well, a typical day um, usually involves a liaison meeting. We do about 900 meetings per year, so most days um, we are meeting with contact. We start by preparing. Uh, I see con- We could see most of our contacts once a year, so it might have been, been a while since we talked to them. Business conditions might have changed. So we'll take our standard questions, but also have to think about which topical ones might be relevant for that contact um, and also review any recent press or financial announcements so that we can make the most of the one hour that we've got with them and get as much um, focused information as we can. After the meeting's over, then we each have responsibility for um, sort of collating the messages across particular industries. So, you know, one, one of the ones that we do here um, in my team is looking at um, tourism. And so after a meeting's over, um, we would then go and look at all the meetings everyone else has done across the country in tourism and try to see if there's some you know, themes that are coming out um, any, um, and how maybe their stories have developed over time as conditions have changed. And then we'd spend some of our day sort of summarizing those things because all our meetings with the, um, with the contact are confidential. Mm-hmm. And so we need to aggregate and de-identify those, um, those messages. And um, then we'd put those together, maybe feed some of that information to some of the forecast teams, put it into one of our notes that we're doing on a particular topic or put it into our monthly summary that we write for the fees of the board process or maybe one of the bank's publications or some of our analysis. Liaison is obviously the, the key part of our day and engagement with the community. But there are a few other things that we do um, out in the community. So presenting economic updates um, is something we get to do to liaison contacts, perhaps a roundtable um, or a local economic forum. And on the flip side of that, we might be performing more of a listening role uh, when we're attending local economics events, such as it was hosted by CEDA or the Economic Society of Australia. Um, and like many of our state office staff, I'm actually an ambassador for the Bakes Public Education Program, uh, which means I get to give school talks to high school economics students about the role of the RBA and current conditions in the economy. And for me, that that's a pretty rewarding uh, aspect of the role, uh, being yeah, able to show future or buddy economists, mm. uh, what their career could look like. And look, they always keep me on their toes with, with the questions, but I do sometimes suspect that they may have grabbed one or two from their parents. <laughs> I think so. Um, so the liaison program kind of strikes me as particularly extensive. How long have each of you been working on the program and, and what is it about you besides the school kids that you enjoy the most? Kate? Um, I've been in the Queensland office for just over a year. Um, and I was in the liaison team in head office from 2010 to 2012. I loved it then. And I was really keen to come back and do it again when I got the chance, especially in another state. Um, what I love about the program is no matter what's happening in the economy, we can always find more about it and have something interesting to say based on liaison. So if there's a puzzle, something isn't coming out the way that we would expect, or maybe as um, economic theory would suggest, um, liaison can get at why. Uh, and our topic questions are really helpful for that. You know, everyone expected house prices to fall um, when the borders were closed and COVID hit and things were, um, were difficult. 
there's no population growth and we're building, we were committed to building houses at a record rate. Um, but through liaison, we, we started to hear about, you know, fewer share households, maybe there's some changes in household size. The census data wasn't out to prove that yet. Um, but we could look into other data sources because liaison suggested that. And liaison are also telling us, yep, there's a lot of buildings that have been approved, but it's taking a lot longer to, to actually, for those to be completed. So, you know, new housing supplies are coming online to the same extent. And so, um, yeah, you know, the little puzzles when you know, things don't to kind of go the way expected, liaison helps us understand. Fantastic. And Aaron, how long have you been in the program? I'm an old hand. Uh, I've been in the program for about six years now. Uh, first as the economist in the WA office and then as the senior rep. Um, and I just love the variety of tasks really, um, from yeah. liaisons to the analysis, um, to the presentations, to the students, of course. I love the enthusiasm with which our contacts participate in the program. I mean, if you ask me the best part about it, it's the relationships, both yeah. with the real yeah. team across the country. We're chatting to each other every day. Mm. But here in your state, your contacts, your support, your social network, uh, mm. as well mm. through mm. through your days and you know, I often joke due to the the random things you learn in these meetings I can join in any barbecue conversation no matter where anyone works <laughs> now um, yes because you just pick up all these little things from every yeah. industry you speak to it would be interesting um Lucy and Kate talked earlier about the benefits of asking both core and topical questions so we can get a read on whatever is going on in the economy at the time I imagine that was particularly interesting in the past years and the insights you were receiving would have been quite dire at times. Can you tell me about how contacts were feeling at the time and what they might've been particularly worried about? I actually started during the downturn, the mining investment downturn in WA when things were fairly, fairly somber, I would say in most of the discussions, um, over here in WA, but really nothing compared to the period of March to June, 2020 at the beginning of of the pandemic, mm. um, it was just the sheer pace of the decline in demand for most firms. It was the uncertainty. I mean, what's going to change the next 10 minutes of a press conference, let alone what's going to happen over the next weeks, months, years. And so firms were telling us, you know, they're pulling back on investment costs and having really difficult conversations about having to let their staff go or potentially cut salaries to try and keep staff. So it. It was a really tough time um, and a period I'll certainly never forget. But what really blew me away is that even despite those circumstances, our contacts made the time for a 20 mm. or 30 minute chat with us um, because they understood the importance of the program. They Most of them you know, participated for quite some time. Um, so we knew what was happening in real time. We could adjust mm. policy. Um, and while insights from liaison are always really valuable, I would argue there was never and they were never more valuable than they were during that period. And so particularly timely. And what did people in Queensland think was particularly dire, Kate? I started in the program at the end of um, last year. Things have changed a little bit since then. So the concerns have shifted. So uh, by the end of last year, people were saying, well, things, demand's actually been a bit better than we expected. Um, but the shift um, in concerns had been more towards issues of costs and labour market um, mm -hmm. things. So more recently, um, Quite often in meetings, we start on one of our opening questions is, you know, how's demand for your goods and services gone over the past year? And um, a lot of people are like, oh, that's that's fine, but um, we just can't get enough people to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so that has sort of come to the forefront. And then we've been able to have additional topical questions 
to be able to draw out, you know, well, where are the labour shortages? How widespread are they? What's happening with um, wages in more detail than perhaps we used to? Like, what are people doing around um, to try to retain staff? Um, what's happening with wages for new hires and things like that? And then also there's been a lot more concerns recently, particularly in some industries, about rising costs. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've had a lot of additional questions to try to get an idea about, um, you know, what proportion of their cost base is going up and um, where those particular pressures are, how frequently prices are changing compared to normal. And so, um, yeah, so it's, the concerns have shifted. Um, mm -hmm. They're there, but they're very different to the ones. They're more ones to do with us having really strong demand and not being able to meet it. Um, and then on the inflation side. And and so is that the same thing in WA or is WA such a vastly different market to Queensland? How would you compare and contrast the two? Aaron? Well, well, it really has depended, varied over time. Um, I think at the moment, yes, we're seeing that conditions seem to have converged somewhat across the country, I would say, now that most firms have really strong demand, high cost pressures and can't find labor. I mean, that's pretty universal across the country and housing, um, was certainly WA and some other states, you know, including Queensland now, it seems to be broadened as well. Um, just the, the lack of housing, uh, for workers and particularly in regional areas compounds the issue of being able to attract labor. And, uh, how would it compare with Queensland? Okay. What's distinctive about that state? There's a few things. Um, again, we've probably got more similarities and differences at the moment, but Queensland's also had really strong interstate migration. So that's adding a lot to tightness in the housing um, market here. We've also had a um, lot more severe weather on the East Coast than what's been the case in WA. And so businesses have told us um, more about how that's affecting you know, ability to get construction work done, um, slide repair work. We did a, um, a lot of liaison immediately after the floods to get an idea of the impact, but we're still hearing now about how um, some of that work's going on. Another thing on the, this difference between the East Coast and the West Coast is um, pressures around um, higher gas and electricity prices. A big thing we're hearing from firms over here on the East Coast that's not such an issue on the West Coast. Indeed, every day in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's obviously important to have both of you embedded in the local community. Are there any particular reasons that's the case? Well, I, I think it's always been important for the bank to have a presence in the community to, to both gain, but also to share insights. Mm. Um, so, I mean, this engagement is, is basically why the liaison team exists. Um, I remember 2018, 19, we, we all got together to refresh our mission statement. And the first words are, we engage the Australian community to gain and share insights on the economy. And that's what we do. And you just get richer deeper understanding of what's going on when you've got staff on the ground, going out to the regions, talking to firms, you know, face-to-face. -face. We've done a lot of virtual as well, and it's a good mix, but it is both richer in gaining insights and seeing what's happening around the place, but also sharing the insights, you know, so we can go out to the regions, we can go to the local forums, et cetera. Um, so it's just more opportunities for engagement alongside the bank of other communication channels, of course. Um, but as we discussed earlier, there are differences across the country. You know, WA is always mining driven, for example. So whatever's happening there is the weather for the rest of the state and the other states can be very different. And the bank's objectives are the welfare and prosperity of all Australians. We need to know what's happening across the entire nation. Mm. And Kate, anything to add? 
Um, yeah, just as Aaron said, like, I think being local helps us to build better relationships with our contacts. And it also means understanding local conditions is easier. So in a big event, like a flood, kind of have an idea of who to talk to, um, on the ground. And also we can attend local business events and meet new contacts and add, know who we need to add to the program, probably in a way that it's easier to do when you're, um, sort of embedded in that business community, um, maybe be a little harder from, from a distance. Um, so it helps us to keep their program up to date and relevant as um, the economy changes and businesses change. And you don't have to keep travelling from Sydney to Brisbane and Brisbane to Sydney, is that right? <laughs> We've got big enough states to travel around anyway. That's true. Not so <laughs> convenient. That's true. That's true. So perhaps one final question for Lucy. Um, to really get to the nitty gritty of why this program is so important to our mandate is how are the findings of the program actually factored into policy decision? What's the process that happens there? Well, as I mentioned, we've always had those insights from liaison uh, integrated within our discussion of uh, economic conditions in the board papers, uh, in the board presentation. Sometimes I will show a graph to the board that actually is derived from the quantitative indicators we get from liaison. We'll often show those graphs also in the papers. Uh, and of course, in the board discussion, I'll also often mention, well, this is what we're hearing from liaison partners uh, and, and this is what we think is going on, we, you know, particularly when there's uncertainty about what the future might hold or, or what's currently going on. Uh, so it's always been integrated. The other area where I think it's quite important is to help our forecasters develop their starting point for their forecasts. So it is actually one of the sources of information that goes into the judgment that you put on your statistical models. A statistical model is never going to be a perfect uh, mm. representation of the economy and a, a, st a purely st statistical forecast is never going to be the whole answer to developing a set of forecasts. And what the, the forecasting teams do do is talk to the liaison team, use the information that liaison team are, are writing in their own reports to then say, well, you know, how should we shape our forecast? What sort of tilt do we need to put on a purely model-based starting point in order to develop our final forecast? The early phase of the forecast is very, very much shaped by the understanding of the current situation derived from liaison. Clear the liaison program has been a key element in our economic analysis of monetary policy decision-making processes over the past 21 years. It's one of the ways we listen to the people directly affected by what is happening in the economy. The program provides us with real-world insights into the issues and decisions driving the trends we see in the data to help keep us fully informed about the whole economy. Thank you for listening.